Hello, and a very good day to you. My name is Jim Harris, and this is Heritage Bible Radio. Heritage Bible Radio is an extension of Heritage Bible Church in Boise, where it's my joy to serve as the teaching pastor. Every day, we devote our radio time to studying a portion of the Word of God so you can know Him better through Jesus Christ and serve Him better through your local church. This week on Heritage Bible Radio, we've been working our way through the book of Mark and enter chapter 6, where Jesus returns home after many amazing miracles on and around the Sea of Galilee. There he was constantly surrounded by crowds who were at least amazed by his miracles, if not his teaching. Well, that changed here. The question and the title of this week's sermon is, What would make the Son of God wonder in amazement? He wasn't amazed by his own miracles, so what could it be? The answer will be the topic of discussion this week as you join us for today's slice of the message entitled, What Made Jesus Wonder? Now we come to what was probably about the end of that extended ministry in Galilee. And Jesus decides, for a reason he never explains to us, he decides to visit Nazareth one more time. I have to say that his final visit to his hometown was a low point. Just six verses for this morning. Here's how we're going to break them down. Number one, they were astonished. Number two, They took offense. And number three, Jesus wondered. Now, it would be logical to think that this visit to Nazareth would be different from the previous one. Because Jesus has now for over a year been traveling around Galilee, going from synagogue to synagogue, place to place. And he had a spectacular track record of all sorts of evidence that He is the Messiah, He is the Savior, He is the Son of God. But alas, this visit also doesn't go well. It is a powerful lesson in the powerful grip of unbelief. So look at the passage with me, starting at verse 1, and see how the people were astonished. Jesus went out from there. There refers to Capernaum. And he came into his own hometown, about a 25-mile walk west and a little bit south from Capernaum to Nazareth. It's up in the, Capernaum is right by the the level of the water at the Sea of Galilee, and Nazareth is up in the hill country uh, that, um, uh, the hill country of Galilee. So he went out from there, came into his hometown, and his disciples followed him. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue and the many listeners were astonished. Well, so far, so good. They are amazed at his teaching. And here the word astonished is a a different word from the word that we've seen that's translated marveled or was amazed. This one is like it, it, it hit them really hard. They were blown away by it. That would be the closest to our vernacular. They already knew he could do miracles, and now they're amazed at his teaching. And that sounds like the beginning of good things. Ah, but not so in Nazareth. We're going to see what develops here. We pick it up in the middle of verse 2. When Sabbath came, he began to teach the synagogue, and many listeners were astonished. But here's what they were saying. Where did this man get these things? We know this guy when he grew up. He didn't go to rabbi school. 
Where did he get this? And what is this wisdom given to him? And such miracles as these performed by his hands. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Now the people of Nazareth, by and large, were not willing to give serious consideration to the fact that Jesus could be the Messiah. To them, he was the kid who grew up as an apprentice to his father, Joseph, who was a carpenter. The fact that they described him as the son of the carpenter, or they described him by his, his uh, occupation, the carpenter, and his mother called Mary, that shows that they probably knew about the virgin birth, but they didn't believe the virgin birth. They just called him the carpenter, the, you know, wink, wink, the son of Mary. Yeah, yeah, we know, we know that story. Mary and how did he come about? So here's what unbelief does. They knew what Jesus was saying. And they responded by turning irrelevant issues into stumbling blocks to defend their unbelief. Why wouldn't they be listening to what he said from Isaiah? Why wouldn't they be saying, isn't the Messiah going to do miracles like that? What, what are we seeing here? And instead, they divert attention away from the truth to justify rejecting Jesus. They were unwilling to embrace him in spite of all the evidence that he is the Son of God. So tragically, the response was not a response of faith, nor was it a response of indifference. Nobody left the synagogue that day and said, that was nice, wasn't it? Now, they were, they were well, the first time, Enraged, It was way worse than ignoring him. They chose to be offended. Rather than searching the scriptures for themselves, rather than looking at the evidence provided by Jesus as to who he was, they were offended. Now understand, nothing Jesus said was offensive. Nothing Jesus said was wrong. He only spoke truth. And it was always bathed in love. The questions they asked are typical of the things that unbelieving people are likely to say to you. Unbelief will elevate the importance of irrelevant things in order to dodge the truth of what is really important that God has actually revealed. There was no lack of evidence that Jesus is the Son of God. His teaching validated it. They heard Him teach and they were blown away. The the Scriptures validated it. He'd read the Scriptures the first time He visited there, probably also on this day. His miracles validated it. Now, He hadn't done a lot of miracles there on that day, but they knew all about His miracles and they said so. They knew that Jesus had never been trained as a rabbi, so it should have been all the more obvious to them when they say, where did he get this stuff? Well, if he didn't get it by being taught by our rabbis, 
He must have gotten it from God. That's the point they should have gotten. They were dumbfounded by him, but they chose to remain in spiritual blindness. Nicodemus had said it this way, John 3, 2, he said to Jesus, No one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. The people of Nazareth didn't accuse Jesus of being empowered by Satan. They hadn't drunk that Kool-Aid yet, but neither were they willing to acknowledge that his power came from God. So their unbelief bubbles up to the surface in the form of questions. Where did this man get these things? In order to maintain their disbelief, they looked for any explanation other than the obvious one. They had more than enough evidence, but they obstinately refused to believe in him. It's like I often say, this is what unbelief does. They rejected the correct answer before they asked the question of who he was. Well, we know he can't be God. We know he can't be the Messiah. Where did he get this stuff? We're, we're, we're going to set up a, a, a ridiculous uh, dichotomy here. Now, here's a helpful bit of advice for you. You may share Christ with someone. And you may get questions brought up to you. I want you to understand, most questions raised by unbelievers are a smokescreen. Most of them are, it's something they've heard and they know, well, if one of those Christian types ever comes my way, here's the arrow that I can shoot that will just punch a hole in their windbag and they'll slink away. Someone may say to you, uh, you know, I, I have a problem with the contradictions in the Bible. Or maybe they'll be even more daring and say, I have a problem with this contradiction where this passage says that and that passage says um, something different. There's a great way to respond to that. Say, oh, really? You must have studied a lot. Which contradiction are you talking about? Let's look at that passage. Often that makes people change the subject or go away. Or somebody says, I can't believe you would reject science and believe that the earth is only thousands of years old. The lady next to me on the airplane when I was flying home from teaching five days at the Creation Apologetics Teachers College said that to me. I was thinking, Lord, I want a nap. And he said, no, you don't. <laughs> Maybe you want one, but I've got work for you to do. Or somebody might say, we don't really know who the historical Jesus was. Here's what I'm trying to say to you. Don't be afraid of being in a situation like that. Don't be afraid of questions like that because they're bluffing approximately 99 times out of 100. It's just a defense that they have learned. So I recommend you do something like this. First, you might say something like, you know, that is a good question. I'd like to come back to it. But before I answer your question, I just want to make sure you understand what I'm saying. And then make sure that you've explained the gospel. You can say, uh, you know, be, before I talk about your question, do you understand the message of the gospel? This is what I'm saying to you. The Bible teaches, even if you don't believe what the Bible says... 
If you would like this message on Compact Disc, let me know and we'll send it to you. You'll receive the entire message, not just the portion on today's program. You can order by phone at 353-4036 or by writing to us at 7071 West Emerald, Boise, Idaho, 83704 or on the internet at hbc-boise.org. Heritage Bible Radio needs your prayers and your financial support. Once again, you can reach us online at hbc-boise.org or by telephone at 353-4036 or by writing to us at 7071 West Emerald, Boise, Idaho, 83704. And if you need a church home here in the Treasure Valley, I hope you'll visit us any Sunday at 7071 West Emerald. For Heritage Bible Radio, I'm Jim Harris. See you next time. Bye-bye.